0: Good morning. Are you thawing out and warming up a bit? I hope so. I hope so. I hope uh, your attentiveness is... Uh, I hope I hope your posture and your demeanor is more being attentive than being freezing cold, is, is my hope this morning. So, uh, what a joy to be together this morning and to celebrate the things we celebrate. It is... Man, today is a special day in the life of our church. As you think, anytime you welcome members uh, into membership... And that is such a significant thing. What a, what a special thing to do that. But to, uh, to celebrate we own her as well and just, to, um, just to, to thank the Lord for her and commit her life to the Lord. Uh, she's been such a gift to her family, but also to our church family already. Uh, I don't know how many Sundays... She just changes the whole dynamic of our of our room when uh, things. Her smile just lights up the whole entire room. Uh, I know from several times, either leading worship or preaching, the whole room kind of changes based on uh, it, her smiling. Everybody kind of perks up a bit. I love it. It's is such a fun thing to watch, and it's funny today. We're looking at Luke chapter one and the announcement of the upcoming birth of of two children. John the Baptist and of Jesus and that wasn't actually planned but it just kind of worked out that way and I think that's kind of a cool thing it's very fitting. So today we're continuing on in our in our series entitled There is Hope and specifically today we're seeing that unfold through the promise that there's hope through the promise and if this hasn't been said enough today we serve a faithful God. He's so faithful to us. He's so good and gracious and generous to us. And if you're here and you're struggling to believe that today or you've never actually believed that, I simply want to point to to the gift of Eleanor this morning to to say, man, he's so faithful and good to us. And as good as she is and as good as the gift of children are, uh, we're looking at how God made good on an even bigger promise today, Uh, the promise to bring rescue, to humanity through the Messiah, that he would make all things right. He would, he would make right the brokenness of the relationship between humanity and God through the Messiah, Jesus. And so here's where we're headed today, just to kind of give you a preview and a heads up, just so you know where we're going. Uh, in reading our passage, I hope you'll see that God is the ultimate promise keeper. He is the promise keeper. One, he has kept the ultimate promise of sending the rescuer, his son, Jesus. Secondly, that because he's kept the biggest, most central promise of all, that God has kept every other promise that he's ever made to his people. And then finally, as we see the example of the lives of those in our passage who've been impacted by all the events that we're going to read about, we're faced with the question of how will you and how will I respond to God keeping all of those promises? Will we trust him? Or not Will we believe in him or not? So, so turn with me in our passage, and let's read the bulk of chapter 1 together. It's a long passage. I'll say that up front, so just put your seatbelt on and, uh, and bear with us this morning, all right? Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened, I love that, it just so happened, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth." For he will be great in sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Verse 18 says, How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel, For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and, un- and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, The people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. And when he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Verse 26, we change gears a little bit, but still continue with the story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called, called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, "'The Holy Spirit will come upon you, "'and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. "'Therefore, the Holy One to be born "'will be called the Son of God. "'And consider your relative Elizabeth. "'Even she has conceived a son in her old age, "'and this is the sixth month for her "'who was called childless. "'For nothing will be impossible with God.'" Let me just say that again. "'For nothing will be impossible with God. "'See, I am the Lord's servant,' said Mary.' May it happen to me, as you have said. Then the angel left her. Man, thanks be to God for the reading of his word today. God is faithful. He's the very definition of consistency. And there are about 10 different sermons I could preach from this passage today. But here's where we're headed. That big thought that God is faithful. Humanity has a hard time grasping that. We all do because we're so inconsistent. Uh, If you don't believe me, how many parents in the room can relate to asking your children what they want for Christmas well in advance so you can plan, months in advance, something that they're desperate, they they long for, only to have a few months go by, and they have totally changed their mind by the time, that, that thing they were desperate for, they've changed their mind by the time Christmas rolls around. Fashion trends come and go. we see it swing so quickly now. decades that, that uh, things that were popular decades are back again and they and they go in and out. social media posts, videos that go viral one day only to be forgotten the very next day. How many of you made goals or whatever <laughs> resolutions, whatever you want to call them at the beginning of a year, way back at the end of last year or, or <laughs> January only to be forgotten. Do you even remember the goals you set for this year now that we're in December? We are fickle creatures. We change. We are inconsistent. But God doesn't change. He's totally unlike us. He's eternally consistent in who he is, in his plans, in his standards, in his expectations, in his actions, in his abundant love for us. He is consistent. So we start with this overarching point, one, that God the Father has kept the ultimate promise to us, to humanity, way back in the Garden of Eden, to bring rescue to humanity, which he reiterated throughout the entirety of his word. And we find that in the Garden, way back in Genesis 3, that Adam and Eve, they they engaged in a staggering act of rebellion, and they rejected God. They decided that they wanted to live their lives and hold to a worldview that was counter to the way God would have them live and counter to the worldview that God would have them see the the world through. They chose their way instead of God's way. And the result was catastrophic. And humanity has suffered ever since. What transpired in the garden literally broke the world. It broke us as people. We are broken I mean, you can look around and see the news. Read any, open up your phone and read any news app any day and you will see the brokenness. You'll see evidence of the brokenness of this world. So following the, that horrific moment of rebellion, Adam and Eve find themselves being confronted by God. And just before God communicates the consequences of their actions, God issues judgment upon the serpent who had been inhabited by Satan. And God says this in Genesis 3.15, He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. I bring that verse up. That's not just a random thing. I bring that verse up this morning because throughout history, theologians have looked back and pointed to that verse as as being the very first instance of God promising to make things right. Uh, The very first promise of the gospel. And from there, throughout the pages of history, as you turn the pages, book after book, prophecy after prophecy, you see instance after instance in Old Testament history where God reiterates the promise that I won't leave things the way they are. I will make things right. I will bring salvation and I will overcome the effects of sin and defeat the evil one. And that's crucial for us today because this is the promise that God has staked everything on. We we can't believe anything else, any other promise in the Bible if this isn't fulfilled because this is what everything hinges on, that God won't leave things the way they are. If 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 there's no way for humanity to be made right with a holy God, then all of the peace, all of the hope, all of the love that you can have in this life do us no good when we look at the prospect of an eternity separated from God. It does us no good. Our passage today describes how God brought about the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise. So first we see that Gabriel announces the birth of John. Uh, We know John the Baptist to, to his father, the priest Zechariah. And it's remarkable that God sends Gabriel to Zechariah first. He doesn't go to Mary first to talk about the coming Messiah. He goes to Zechariah first. That's really interesting to me. See, Gabriel is bringing news of the fruition of God's promise to send a forerunner, a messenger. The Old Testament prophets would speak of another Elijah would come. And one of the most obvious places we see this prophecy is in the Old Testament prophet of Malachi. Malachi 3 and Malachi 4. You can see him write about about this this forerunner, this messenger who would go before the Messiah. And the reason that's amazing is that after the book and the prophecy of Malachi... There are 400 years of silence that God doesn't speak. There are no prophets. There's no communication from heaven. The phone lines are gone. There's no communication whatsoever. So when Gabriel shows up at the temple and scares Zechariah half to death, and he declares that not only is Zechariah going to have a son in his old age, but that son will actually be the one that the Old Testament called the, the Elijah or, the, or the, the forerunner to the Messiah. It's a connection point between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's, it's a, a link in the chain. He, he's the first messenger the people of God have had in four centuries the message is a, is a continuation of that last message in Malachi. It's a link where the Old Testament leaves off and the gospel accounts of, of the life of Jesus begin. And then we see a little later while Gabriel goes to Mary and announces that she will conceive and give birth to a, to a special child, that, that Mary's son will be the promised one that the whole scriptures talk about, that God keeps his promises. He kept them from Malachi to Zechariah, and then all throughout the pages of scripture, God keeps his promises. And what that means is that Christ, in Christ, we have the offer of being made right with God. And I say this, church family, I say this to you first. I proclaim this point to you first, that church, it's the truth that undergirds our lives every single day. Our whole lives are are changed by this truth. It's not just something you hear once, you believe once, and then you move on with your life. This is something that we bank our entire lives on, that we continually preach to our hearts and uh, and to our minds. We continually come back and live our life according to, because when we believe this, this truth changes everything about the way we live. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the message we share with you today. Uh, This is this is from the beginning of time. God has been working to fulfill a promise that He made that He would undo the brokenness of this world, and we see that our world is broken. It's obvious to see that, and because of that, we can live every day knowing that we can be made right with God, that we can walk in closeness, proximity to God through Christ Jesus. So church, now we're free to avoid the trapping of thinking that we've got to earn something with God. That thing we, we all struggle with, that I've just got to act the right way, do the right things in order to earn something with God. We, we can avoid that because of, because of Jesus and our brokenness. We can, we can live a life of fullness and, and, and peace and hope. Because of the promise being fulfilled, you and I can know, we can know God. We can have fellowship with God. Does that not blow your mind? Almighty God, the eternal one. And it was such a privilege if you had the opportunity to take part this week in our 48-hour prayer time. It was such a privilege to come in here and, and just to spend some time in the quiet, just interceding, praying. And I spent some of my time on Thursday reading all the scripture references and the prayers that people had written out on, on the three different tables that were in here. And I found myself just kind of praying along with what I was reading and really kind of found myself getting emotional because of the things that you had written, the scriptures you had written, the, the prayers you had you were praying. And I began, man, just amening that yeah, Lord, do that. Oh, would you, would you bring salvation to our neighbors? Oh, would you open the eyes of, of those around us? Would you make us? Yeah, Lord, do make us more like you. Yes, Lord, please do change us. Make us the people you want us to be. Yes, help us to see the sufficiency of Christ in all things. And and, uh, and I loved, I could see somebody else was writing amen beside the prayers as well. And it was such a, an amazing time. And those prayers were a vivid demonstration that we are a people in relationship with almighty God. That that we know God. We know him. And don't let that become stale to you that you are in relationship with God. That if you've trusted in the work of Jesus to, to take your place, to bear the weight of the guilt of your sin, to die a substitutionary death, and that you've repented and turned to, from your way to his way, that you now as a child of God walk in relationship with God. That. Is because God fulfilled his promise, because he is the promise keeper. It's because of the child that was announced to Mary that we experience these things. And so since God fulfilled the promise, there's hope. Secondly, this morning, since God has kept that promise to make things right, every other promise he's ever made is worthy of our trust. Look at 2 Corinthians. We're going to come back to this passage, but look at 2 Corinthians 1.20 with me. In the opening of this letter to the church at Corinth... Paul, it's so funny. I know we just don't worry. We're not starting off Second Corinthians. We just finished First Corinthians. It took a few years to get through. It's okay. I uh, Saw some like eyes really get big for a second. No, we're not going there yet. Uh, but in in the beginning of this letter, Paul finds himself from the beginning having to defend himself yet again. With this church, and he and he turns this this defense masterfully into a theological lesson. And we, I'm so glad he went on the defense because we get the benefit of getting these these verses here. And uh, he begins to defend himself, and he says this. Start in verse verse 19 with me. He says, "For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus or Silas, Timothy, and I did not become yes and no. On the contrary, in Him." In Christ, it is always yes, for every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him, through Christ, we also say amen to the glory of God. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Now what Paul was saying here is that we can trust in God's faithfulness to follow through, to fulfill every other promise, every promise in all of Scripture, every promise that he's ever made because of how he fulfilled the promise about sending Christ. This week I came across an article on this verse from Table Talk magazine from Ligonier Ministries. R.C. Sproul kind of started that many years ago. And this article, I'll put it up on the screen for us. Uh, The article says, this one snippet said, The provision of Christ as the yes or fulfillment of God's promises. And our response is thoroughly Trinitarian. God the Father makes the promises and God the Son is the substance of the promises. We are then established in faith through God the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of God's promises. A better translation of guarantee is down payment. Just as a down payment is a pledge of a full payment, the regeneration of the Spirit and His presence in our hearts proves that our redemption will be completed in our glorification when our bodies and souls are made fully new. What is in the world does that have to do with our passage? Let's say this, Therefore, because the Father sent the Son, and was faithful to fulfill the massive promise to undo the brokenness of this world, to make right what had been wrong, you and I trust that he's faithful to follow through with every other promise he's ever made in his word as the Holy Spirit indwells us and equips us and strengthens us and works out that salvation in our life and makes us more and more like Christ. That means every place God promises something in his word There's never a doubt that he won't do it. There are so many promises we could rattle. We could spend days right here. Let's just recount the promises. We won't do that. I'll give you just a few, though, because this is important to give you a few examples. Because of his faithfulness to send his son and make a way for us to be made right with him, God promises to be with you. Matthew 28, 20. And remember, this is a great commission. Remember, I am with you even to the end of the age. In fact, God promises that there's no place we could go where his presence and love won't be. Psalm 139.7 says, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. He promises that he will hear and answer our prayers. We saw that to, to Zechariah, but, but 1 John 5, 14 says, This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. God promises to grant you peace when you need it. Jesus said in John 16 that I have told you these things that in me, in me, you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Let's not forget that. You will have suffering. But be courageous. I have conquered the world. Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not the park run that a lot of you guys do on Saturday mornings, even in the cold. I'm I'm so... I admire you so much for that. Not enough to actually get out there and do it with you, but I admire you for doing that. Uh, It's a marathon. That means regardless of how you and I feel on any given day, he will bring about the growth and sanctification he's promised to bring about in your life. Philippians 1, 6, very familiar. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. A couple more. God promises to comfort you in the midst of trial and seasons of suffering. Jesus said sufferings are going to come. Well, he promises to bring, to bring comfort in the midst of that. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so, also through Christ, our comfort overflows. The Lord promises that as you grow in Christ and in His Word, He will cause you to flourish in Christ. Psalm 1 How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the, in the, the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of, or the, the seat of mockers, the, the NAS says. Instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bear its fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither. I could go on and on. I could go on and on with these promises. Hours we could do this. And those things are guaranteed. They will be done. Every single one of those promises is because of Christ fulfilling the ultimate promise to make things new again. And that only proves that verse 37 in our passage is true. Gabriel says to Mary, for nothing will be impossible for God. Nothing will be. So as you read the promises of God to his people, you can trust his faithfulness today. You can trust his faithfulness to follow through and to fulfill those promises because of Jesus. But the question remains for us today, and this is our last point. How will you and I respond to God? How will we respond to his promises? And really what we're saying when we say that is how will we respond to his character? Because his promises are an extension of his character. Will we trust him? Do we believe him? Or do we doubt him? Do we follow the same path that our first parents followed of saying, no, I don't really believe your way. I want to go my own way. That's what's before us today. Will you and I trust and believe God? Will we doubt his goodness? Look at our passage in Luke 1. We're going to kind of unpack this a bit this morning. We have a couple of examples that we can learn from. Look at Zechariah and Elizabeth first, starting in verse 5. It says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years." Here, this couple seemingly has done everything right. Zechariah went into the family business. He didn't really have a choice, but he went to the family business of serving in the temple as a priest. But he did have a choice in the other things. He was faithful, he and his wife, to to pursue the Lord, to to follow all the rituals and all the law. They they fulfilled that and were trying to live faithfully in that. Zechariah even married the the perfect Jewish wife for a priest, a woman who was from the the line of Aaron as well. It says that they were extremely devoted to the Lord. They they followed through in obedience, but there was an issue in their seemingly perfect lives. They struggled with infertility and this was a years long struggle. Verse 13, it says where the angel tells Zechariah that his prayer has been heard. Well, in verse seven, we already saw that He was so kind. He he says, I'm an old man, but my wife is well along in years. I love that. He's so kind. Respectful to his wife. They were older in age. So even in their old age, Zechariah is continuing to pray about this. For years, he's labored on in prayer over this issue, over this struggle. And it was such a deep struggle that we see he had a moment of doubting the messenger in verse 18. He says, how can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel, for I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. And if you've experienced anything in this struggle in your marriage, you know how heart-wrenching, how, how life-consuming this issue can be. Dean and I, uh, this week coming up, we'll celebrate 22 years of being married together. Uh, praise the Lord for that. And we were married for 10 years before we had Eli. And, uh, and those were amazing years. We had amazing years of marriage, those, those first 10 years. Uh, but as good as those years were... We struggled with infertility. We we didn't choose to wait ten years to have our first child. It it was a struggle, and and even as a young man in my twenties, the thought of not getting to be a dad that just that that would consume my heart and my mind. It would stir up identity issues, and 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 I'm not living in a culture like they did where this really would be about their identity, Zechariah and Elizabeth there. So I say this from firsthand knowledge that if that's where you are. Don't don't let the current circumstances cause you to doubt God's goodness. He remains faithful even when it's hard to see through your circumstances. But, But this lesson is not just for infertility. I mean, don't let your circumstances, no matter what they are, don't let your circumstances, how long you've ever lived in them, cause you to doubt God's goodness or His faithfulness, His character, His ability to follow through with His promises. When you look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, God was faithful to them, even in their waiting. Even though it took not weeks or months, but years for them to see the answer to their prayer, God answered them. And God didn't do it the way they would have chosen, just like he often doesn't answer our prayers the way we would have chosen or through the pages of Scripture, how any human ever prays to God, rarely does He answer it exactly the way they asked for it to be answered. His ways are higher than our ways. They're better than our ways. He gives us good things that are better than what we ask for. So no, God didn't answer the way they wanted. Instead, He moved in a way that made His answer to them even sweeter. He used their faithful waiting to cultivate a deep sense of faithfulness in their lives where they continued to wait They continued to be faithful. He moved in a way that fulfilled not just their hopes and dreams, but helped fulfill a centuries-old prophecy of providing John the Baptist as their son. Not just giving them a son, but giving them one who was going to be devoted to the Lord, who would literally go before the Messiah and pave the way for the Messiah. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, When his division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. It happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, "...to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense." So Zechariah was a priest, and the way that the priesthood was organized, going all the way back to the days of King David, was, was by division. And, and they had different names. And his was was named Abijah, after a, a, a priest in the Old Testament. And, and that's because there were far too many priests for the number of jobs needing done. So the, you had all these priests that would show up, especially for the big feast days when they're, when they're on call... And only a few of them would get to do the most sacred of jobs, like the burning of incense. And since there were more priests than jobs, the most important ones, starting with David, they started this practice, the most important ones were chosen by the casting of lots. And they trusted that, well, God, in your sovereignty, you will you'll choose the right one. So we're going to cast lots for this. Trust in your character and your sovereignty. And on that day, when Zechariah's division is their turn, Lots are cast, and he finds himself being chosen to go in, to be the one to light the incense. Uh, And you have to understand, should you be chosen to light the incense for prayers of intercession, for the sacrifice that was to be carried out on on behalf of the entire nation, you would have been thrilled because this would have been a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So this is not just something that everybody gets a chance at. There were many who would have never been chosen for this responsibility. So the fact that he gets chosen is a great honor. So he finds himself being chosen. He goes into the holy place with all these expectations of what's going to happen, only to be met by the angel Gabriel there. 400 years of, of silence, and then all of a sudden an angel appears right there in the temple. Can you, I mean... Can you imagine that? I think any one of us being met with an angel would find ourselves being terrified. And I think we, we try to make prayer a regular habit, and, and we, we see the Lord speak to us through his word, and we see him, him direct and guide us. But there have been silence for centuries. Say God hasn't spoke to us since the early 1600s, and then all of a sudden he speaks to you. I, I think we would have a hard time with that, right? Just our brains computing what is even going on, you know? What a moment he finds himself there. I I think we'd be shaken by that. We'd all be faced with the temptation to doubt. So it's it's not just uh, the content of the message that was unexpected. It was the timing of the message. It it was also the fact that God was speaking at all. And so often it's when we're not expecting it that God demonstrates his faithfulness to us. Throughout the scripture, he's consistent in showing his faithful ways that humanity, faithfulness in ways that humanity isn't expecting. And Zechariah, thankfully, he didn't doubt permanently. We read on beyond this story that, uh, that he actually did prove himself faithful in, uh, in the naming of John. And that story you can read on later and see how that plays out. But we read how the consequences of his doubting was that he became mute. He couldn't speak from that moment until John is born. He's talking about over a year. He couldn't, he's not able to speak. He's mute from that time, and you see eventually his mouth is open after the son is born, but I can't help but think that, that Zechariah's experience parallels our own so often, that we hurt ourselves when we doubt God. And though we may not find ourselves being mute and, and God saying, sorry, you're not going to talk because you didn't believe me, uh, we, we do question God's character so often. And that hurts us. That harms us. He, he invites us to be sure, to, to bring our questions before him, to confess what we're thinking and what we're feeling. But there's a difference between having those conversations with God and living in a season of saying, season of saying God, I just I don't think you're going to do this. I just don't think you are good. I just I can't trust that you would actually be good to me. Those, those are two very different things. The Lord is faithful, even if it isn't always apparent. And here's the hard part of this scenario today. I'm not saying that your story is guaranteed to turn out like Zechariah's. I'm I'm saying that the Lord will fulfill his promises, not that he will grant all our wishes. And those are two very, very different things. It may be that the Lord keeps you in the difficult season for a prolonged amount of time in order to make even more of himself, make much of even more of himself. But his goodness, his faithfulness, his presence with you in those seasons and in that struggle remain, he promises the sweetness of his presence as you rely on him to be sufficient for you. Consider Mary. Mary, uh, the pronouncement from Gabriel, brought intense hardship for this young woman who would have been very young. Her betrothal period wasn't even close to being finished, uh, so she's about to be pregnant and not married. This child would would bring disrepute. It would cause lots of questions, not just about her reputation, about Joseph's reputation, but this child would... would before marriage would have meant those questions following her and Joseph and the baby throughout the rest of their lives. It would have radically altered any plans they would have had, any dreams of the future. This would always be a consideration now. Yet, Mary received the news from Gabriel very differently than Zechariah did. I love the fact that both women, Elizabeth and Mary, were so eager to embrace the faithfulness of God Uh I love that. That's a, such a picture of humanity. And us men, we can be so hard so often. You're like, what? I don't believe that. You know, when all of a sudden the women are embracing it eagerly. I'll move on from that. So anyway, uh, look at our passage, verse 34. It says, Mary asked the angel, "How can this be, since I've not had sexual relations with with a man? Not how can this be, God? Why would you do this? But like, Lord, literally, I I know a little bit about bio- biology here. How how, how are you going to do this? How can this be? Verse 35, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Man, the faithfulness of God, even in her own family. Consider your cousin. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. And she says, see, I am the servant's Lord. I am the the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you've said. So may this same sense of humility be the anthem of each of our hearts as we submit to the Lord. May we be a people who embraces God, who gives the Lord the benefit of the doubt, who trusts in his goodness. But that's up to you and me. Trusting his goodness is up to you and me. The reality is this, and I say this 100% in love this morning. God's character is unchanging. He remains perfect in character whether or not you or I believe in his character. Whether or not you believe in him doesn't impact the quality of who he is. It only hurts me. It only hurts you when you choose not to believe in his goodness. It causes you to have a strained relationship with the only one who can actually help you in your circumstances when you choose to doubt him. So I urge you this morning, remind yourself, remind your heart, if you're in difficult circumstances, if you find yourself in this place, remind your heart of the promises of God that he is faithful, that he is true, that he is trustworthy. Remind yourself in those hard moments that it is a privilege to walk in relationship with him that it's a gift that we're invited to walk through life relying on his perfect character it's easy for us to mistake who's actually the main character in all of this especially in those moments we see and mark and i were talking about this on friday like we we see ourselves we insert ourselves into this narrative and we see ourselves as the main character all of us do that we do that in our day to day life. We, we dream up scenarios. So, we were talking about conflict and how our why is it our propensity of when we engage in conflict, we write the internal narrative based on a few words, based on a tone. And we think, oh, I'm the victim or I'm the hero. But either way, I'm the central person in the character. And we do the same thing when we approach the scriptures. But like we saw Andrew preach just last week, the point of this passage isn't to tell Zechariah and Elizabeth's story or even Mary's story. It's to reveal more about who God is. The point of your life is, to, is for God to show himself faithful, for, for God to prove himself as being trustworthy, to God to make much of himself because he's worthy, that he's the faithful promise keeper, that Jesus came to earth willingly, Laying aside his rights, taking on flesh by being born of this precious young woman. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. We just sang that a few minutes ago. Oh, come let us adore him. He did that in a way that lets you and me experience the benefits of being in relationship with God. So just like in each of these instances, the question posed for you and me today is whether or not we will believe in the goodness of God, in the faithfulness of God. Christ, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, that question's on the table for you today. We just invite you to have conversation about that, to talk to us about that. Please talk to us about that. It would be a privilege for us to talk about how Christ has lived a life that you could not live. That he bore a weight on behalf of us so that we don't have to be separated from God, that we can live in reconciliation with God and one another. I invite you today to explore that, to ask questions around that. If you need prayer this morning, we invite you. If you have something going on in your life, you need prayer for healing, prayer for a family situation or job situation, whatever it may be, we invite you to come. Mark and I, Paul, we're we're here. Others are here to pray with you, to talk with you. That offer of hope today is issued by the ultimate promise keeper. Don't forget who we serve. I, I finished with this this morning. We're done. This week, I was really struck by Gabriel's delivery of the message to these two people. Um, Gabriel never apologizes for the message, even when Zechariah doubts it. He never apologizes. He never tries to make it more palatable. Mary says, how can this be? I'm a young girl, never been with a man, never, never tries to re-explain things. He demonstrates supreme confidence in the Lord and who, he, and who God is. And his identity and who God is. Don't forget that this gospel message is meant to be carried by you and me. Not to be made palatable, not to be watered down or changed. We're called to be faithful messengers, but having supreme confidence in Christ as we do that, as as, as the one who's perfect in character. May we go and share His greatness today. We respond in two ways. We respond by singing. And we respond through the table. And today, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to partake. Remembering that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And at the end of the meal, he raised the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And Paul tells us that as often as we take of the bread and drink the cup, we remember and we proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. This is the season of Advent where we not just think about Christ's birth, but we look forward to the coming. So as we partake in this table, we remind our hearts and one another of the fact that Christ will come again. So let us do that today and let it encourage your heart as you do that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, we could speak for hours of your goodness and not even begin to scratch the surface of just how good you are. Thank you that you fulfill every single promise, that you are faithful. Help us, help us, God, to understand that, to believe that, to trust that, to have have faith in that today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.